0: Behold, a Hazarus, Xerxes the Great. Under Xerxes, the empire prospered, and so did the Jews who did not return to Jerusalem. Among these Jews was a family of the tribe of Benjamin. They gathered all they could scrape together and headed out from Babylon for the richest city the world had ever known, the Persian capital of Susa. During the journey, both the mother and father died, leaving a baby girl to Mordecai. Little did my cousin know that I would grow to be a woman the world would never forget.
1: again and for those listening online it's good to have you with us a special welcome a shout out to Jim and Lori I know they really appreciate us being able to offer this online and uh, whether they can listen live or catch up later on during the week that's just uh, fantastic that we're able to do that and really appreciate all the folks that behind the scenes uh, make that all happen so thank you Well, this morning we begin our new series, Esther, and Esther, the unseen sovereign. Not saying that Esther is the unseen sovereign, but throughout the story of Esther, you're not going to get that much of God words and uh, prayers and on and on and on, that kind of a thing. It's him behind the scenes. Yet as you slow down and digest the story of Esther, you're going to find that God's fingerprints are all over it and uh, sometimes that's the way it is in our life sometimes you and I look at our life and it doesn't feel like God is showing up it's not obvious to us but if you slow down and start to look at how your steps have been ordered you start to see that there's an unseen sovereign and in a world where it's just crazy and there's uncertainty At least I do. I need strength to know that God is on the move behind the scenes. And even though it may not be obvious that he is actually happening in action behind the scenes. Now, uh, you know, when we think about a great story, we think about some things like uh, there's got to be an impending tragedy. Uh, Sometimes there's got to be beautiful people. There's got to be villains. There's going to be the innocent. uh, The hope of maybe a little romance. Uh, for some of us, you know, it's some PG-13 stuff. Not too much of that, but sometimes even even rated R stuff, and uh, often a Hollywood ending. And those are all the pieces that uh, can make up to a great story. And we love great stories. That's why uh, they track how many people go to the movies, even in COVID times. uh, The hundreds of millions of dollars that come in on a weekend is unbelievable because all of us are looking for good stories. We enjoy good stories and uh, we want to have them. And uh, one of uh, my famous, at least famous to me, good stories, and I really don't ever tire from it, and it seems to have all those elements, is this one.
0: I'll pinch my cheek. I hate that.
1: Maybe he won't. Hey, how was this sick,
0: Huh? I brought you a special present. What is it? It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. Today I'm gonna read it to you. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what wins us together. Today. What? I won't always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true, love. Oh no. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery. Herald. And revenge. Prepare to die ever go in against the Sicilians when death is on the line. <laughs> there were affairs of state. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped.
1: Bye-bye, boy. Have fun
0: storming the castle. It's more than turning. What's the difference? We've got him. Think it'll work? To take a miracle. Bye-bye. It's a story of love. A tale of adventure. It's as real as the
1: feelings you feel. I'm kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. How many of you have ever seen The Princess Bride? Some of you will admit to liking it. Some of you go, Oh no, it's just not there yet. But when you get to be old, you go, that? That was a pretty cool movie. I, I, I like that movie, so um, The Princess Bride. But it's got all those elements going in on it. It's got everything, but the one thing it doesn't have, if you're a Christ follower, it doesn't have any references to God. And what's interesting, again, is the book of Esther really doesn't have any references to God. He is the unseen sovereign, and yet Esther is in the Bible. Over the th- Thousands of years, Christ followers, God-fearing people uh, have wondered what to do with it. And uh, not many have written commentaries on it up until more recently because they just, just didn't know how to unpack it. But Esther has something to say to us, especially in days where it's unseen uh, and especially in days where it feels like that God is just silent and not showing up. And so when we we think about Esther, we think about how it can speak into our lives, and really, I'm going to encourage you that even if you're just checking things out and you're not a convinced uh, person of faith, I think you're going to find some things in Esther that uh, can speak to your hearts. And uh, if you're a person that's just made that decision to follow Christ, there's going to be some things in there. And then for some of us old-timers who have known God for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, more, we're going to find that Esther can speak to our heart, especially in the world that uh, we live in. And one of the key things as we start off looking at Esther is uh, we need to deal with this idea is the emptiness of self-importance. The emptiness of self-importance. We see it everywhere that uh, people do things, wear things, buy things, say things, have things, and they're trying to, in a sense, feel important they're trying to feel like on top of the game, and uh, after a while of trying that, it comes out that it is pretty empty. Uh, some of you have may done that. You've had this, this carrot, whatever it may be, that you're chasing after it, and finally you get a bite of it, and you realize that, wow, uh, that carrot tasted good in the moment, whatever it might have been, but it doesn't have any lasting effect. There's an emptiness to that. I mentioned I have some really good friends that started off in the pursuit of what we might call the American dream. And it was involved about just achieving and all of this stuff. And about the time they got into their late 30s, early 40s, they realized it really wasn't the answer. And they would go for the next big thing, the next big thing, the next big thing. Maybe bigger family, better family experiences, all these kinds of things. But the thing that was missing was God, and it was just all about self, centered life on self. And it made them stop and say, i got to get off this because it's not the answer, not the new big whatever, the new step with the company, the new whatever. There's got to be something else. And hopefully most of us don't have to go 20, 30, 40, 50 years hunting, hunting, hunting to come to the conclusion that there is an emptiness to self-importance, to a world that revolves around self. And as we start to get into Esther, we're going to see that Xerxes, the leader, the king, the emperor, the one who's in charge of the greatest empire ever at this point, uh, is all about self-importance. And uh, he may not see it, but uh, we see the vanity, we see the, the emptiness of it. So we're going to be spending a lot of time in Esther, and we're going to be looking at, starting off by looking at verses 1 through 9, that's page 344 in that little rack Bible. Also, I really encourage you to download the free app, the Bible you version, and you can follow along that way, and it just kind of helps you see it as you're reading it, or you can just see everything up on the screen. So let's begin in verse 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. It was about uh, 3 million square miles, about the size of the United States. It was the greatest empire at that point that was known. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, his father had passed away. And it's interesting, um, uh, most likely uh, he came from either a wife or or one of the women in his harem. Uh, This is uh, Darius. And uh, when they would have a child, most of the time the king would not even meet that child until they're about five years old. And so they grew up in this uh, uh, protected, shielded, could have anything they wanted. And then uh, the king and probably his advisors would be watching these kids, especially the boys, and seeing who had some promise. So probably Xerxes didn't meet his dad until he was Uh, five years old and you can imagine all the fun it was living in that harem with with people trying to jockey for better positions and all the things that go along with that so that's uh kind of the background of xerxes growing up at the time king xerxes reigned from his throne Uh, he was probably in his mid-30s and in the citadel of susa it was just beautiful opulent had everything you could imagine and in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. It is like he's gathering everyone together. Um, in the back of his mind, he wants to take the next step, and that is take out Greece. And if you've uh, seen, uh, you know, and this some iffy parts, and you've seen the three hundred the immortals, all those kinds of things, that's kind of Hollywood's take on this, but eventually uh, Xerxes will motivate, mobilize uh, probably a few million people in his army, and move in that direction, and uh, he he actually doesn't win, but he's trying to get this all going, so, so he's getting everybody together, different countries, different kingdoms, different nations, different languages, uh, different faiths, religions. So to pull all this together and have all these moving parts and actually have some kind of success and some kind of response was a pretty big deal. So he brings them all together. Uh, Commentaries think that this was probably about 15,000 people. So he's going to get them together and uh, show off his glory. And earlier on this year, in the Christmas series, we talked about one of the ways to understand glory is glory is power and presence. So when we celebrate God's glory, we celebrate His power, that He's God, and we also celebrate His presence, that He is present. And some people out there realize that there is a God, and they think He's, you know, powerful, but He's not present. He's kind of got everything in motion and pulls back, but we're going to say there's power and presence. So pulls everybody together and he's gonna kind of get them all going and get them all jazzed up to go do this next military campaign. We read for a full hundred and eighty days he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty, that he was it. People literally thought that he spoke as God because he was a God, because they would have not have seen anything. Like this, his wish was the command, and 180 days—if I do my math right—is six months. This is quite the party, and um, I mean anything you can think of that's off the rails, debauchery. You know, those free-flowing alcohol. There was there was women. We're going to see that uh, they they, the the the. King Xerxes' wife, Queen Fasci, having a party for the noble women. And then there's the servant women that are in there. And it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, you couldn't watch that movie if they depicted it. So uh, when these days were over, 180, the king gave a banquet. Another thing that lasted seven days. In the enclosed garden of the king's palace, for all the people from the least to the greatest, anyone who lived in Susa was allowed to be there, into the citadel of Susa. The garden had hanging white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple. Purple was... uh, a color that the average person would never have seen. It was the most expensive. You couldn't make it. You couldn't have it. Uh, in the newer Testament, you here, Lydia, the, um, she was a, a, you know, made purple linens, and that was a big deal. She was wealthy. Purple was a big deal. So people would come into this, especially uh, the commoner folks, oh, that's what purple looks like. They had just no idea. And uh, purple material to, to silver rings on marble pillars. Everything was held up with marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic of uh, pavement of porphyry and marble, mother of pearl, and other costly gems or costly stones. Uh, A number of years ago, I read that a real rich person decided he wanted to show his riches in our day, and uh, he ordered, I don't know, hundreds of iPads and made his floor out of iPads. Now, some of you would like that walk on an iPad, but he he, he had it made on a floor because he was so wealthy. uh, You know, he could have the most expensive thing he thought of was a floor, a big uh, banquet room, just you're walking on iPads. And I'm sure there was something on top of them, but you'd look through this clear acrylic something, something, and the floor was just made of iPads. And so uh, this, whatever was most expensive, uh, these guys had. Wine was served in goblets of gold each one different from the other, each unique, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Free-flowing, everyone is drunk out of their mind. This is like a frat party that goes on forever. Forever. And, uh, you know, in typical fashion, when the king is on his throne and overseeing what's going on, no one drinks unless he drinks. So this was like, you know, don't, when I can raise my cup, you can all have a drink. When I put it down, you can have to stop. That was off. That rule was gone. You could do what you wanted to, when you wanted to, with whom you wanted to. And they say that when they pulled everybody together, this could have been up to 50,000 people for these seven days. So each man, what he wished, Queen Vashti also had a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes, and I'm guessing this is where they wanted to be. They didn't want to be around a bunch of soldiers, you know, for 180 days, drinking crazy, consuming everything. It was not the right place to be. Uh, women were abused and just, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to even go into that. So the ladies were kind of off to their own because they didn't want to even experience that. And they were having their own banquet on the side. Um, and uh, this is what's going on. So just, uh, I kind of mentioned this as we were reading through this, but you got the, the great Xerxes. He's inherited everything. He's probably a spoiled brat. Probably hasn't had to work too hard. Um, when he would ever go into battle, he would bring this, this huge throne. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And they would set it up on the highest place. And it was like his entertainment. You know, instead of watching TV, instead of watching the, the, you know, the 300, you know, he got to see it happening in real life. And uh, he would sit up there on this huge thing. If anyone even sat in his, on his throne, they were gone. They would have this red carpet in front of them. If anyone walked on the red carpet, that was it. He was all. His voice in in reality to to the people around him, his voice was God because he controlled life and death. The empire I already mentioned about the size of the United States uh, down into India, Iraq, Iran, all the way up to, up to the edges of Greece. And that was his next thing that he wanted to take over. And so, again, having this party, I think some of the political background of this is that, uh, you know, getting all these leaders ready to amped up and go, wow, he's got it all. We need to follow him. What also is interesting to me, if you think of, of um, well, maybe if, this might be, if you think of, uh, if all the leaders and officials, let's say, that need to make our government run, county, uh, you know, towns, all those people picked up and went to a big party somewhere and were gone for six months, you'd be a little nervous that there'd be like this massive breakdown. But with King Xerxes, everything was so set, everything was in such uh, control run well round machine that all the leaders all the governors all the mayors all the military leaders could actually be one place and drunk for 180 days and everything else seemed to be okay their kingdom was back when they went back so the empire uh, was just it was just unbelievable. Um, these, these, gu- these guards, uh, they called them the immortals, and uh, the reason they called them the immortals is because they never died, and that was the idea about it, is that, that no one could kill them. They were so f- uh, advanced fighting machine, and uh, King Xerxes had 10,000 of these, and these 10,000... We just just lived to serve Xerxes, so wherever he was, these guys were right around him. He had an army of ten thousand of the elite navy seal, whatever you want to call them. These were the guys, and they were around him at all times and uh, and then there were also i think a couple i think I read 2,000 lancers and 2,000, uh, you know, um, cavalry. So you've got wherever King Xerxes is, he has a staff, a army of 12,000, not including the million-person army just around him to make sure that he is safe. So this is just unbelievable. Again, his throne would have been ornate, high. Um, if you worked with King Xerxes, you might have had a little throne, but it was always obviously much, much lower. So when you went up to see the king, you were always looking up, and uh, he was up there, and it just just was just was uh, fantastic. And again, the party in the palace—you know—we're not talking um, just every. You know, to think that there were there were gold. Dixie cups for everybody, right? Uh, and uh, silver, and then there, was, uh, then there was all the seats were gold and silver. You can imagine the common people coming into this party for that last seven days when the place was at 50,000 and just seeing all this stuff they had heard about. No one could really explain to them. They are all there, and they're getting to enjoy all of this. And it's just, it's just an unbelievable show of who he is, and what he can do, and the power that he controls. And so, you know, the question again is this unseen sovereign. Where is God in all of this? Where is this? Uh, The 70 years when Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon is over. Uh, Jews were allowed to go back uh, under another Darius, and uh, Medes and Pers were able to go back. And uh, some went back, some didn't go back. And uh, but again, it seems like this is just God is silent. It's just forgotten. Nothing's happening. And uh, you know we got to think about. So so where do we do with all of this? Now you know it's amazing how we as human beings can take things that are nice and are there for our enjoyment, and and we misuse them. Um, We take the good things in our life sometimes, and we. Use them to say, I'm something and you're not. That's a misuse. Um, you know, scripture is clear. Being controlled by anything else, if you're said yes to Christ, uh, is wrong. So we're going to even say, uh, you know, you've got you to be careful with this. Uh, you know, when it comes to alcohol use, uh, you know, it's, it's about not being a drunkard, not being controlled by that. Uh, some of us have a history in our families where there has been a lot of abuse, and so some of us, like myself and, and Cindy, uh, choose not to partake of that because we go, maybe that's in our genes, and we just don't want to do that. I, when I joke about this, I'll say, you know, I know I can't keep my hands off the ice cream, so just imagine if I really liked uh, a lot of alcohol, I'd probably drink too much, so I'll still keep that off the edge. But again, something that's okay, Misuse. And uh, we have to realize that it's not about uh, being a God follower, Christ follower, saying yes to Christ, and and we're just like this little monk, and and, and we don't get to enjoy life. I love what uh, Solomon says. He says, so I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work, assuming, understanding that work that God has given. Then I realized that these are all pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or eat anything apart from him? So there is this idea. We see this decadence here with Xerxes, and uh, it's it's off the rails. You wouldn't want to send any of your kids there. You wouldn't want to be, oh, my daughter works up at the pallet. You, You would not want that. But there is this part of being human that we are to enjoy what God has given to us. We're to enjoy it but not let it own our heart. our soul and so some people respond by that by having nothing to do with it some people are able to to enjoy but not have it own some people say it's not owning them but they really does own them and the only way you can figure that out is if you're having a growing relationship with God as he works in your heart on a regular basis as you lean into him he helps you determine how these things are are they owning me or am I owning them? Am I using these gifts well? Or are they using me? So I, I like how uh, he, he talks about that. So this idea of kingdom. This idea of, of how we relate to that. Uh, Jesus speaks to the idea of a kingdom and an unseen kingdom. He talks about uh, what you should want most is God's kingdom. And doing what he wants you to do. Then, you will, then he will give you all these other things you need. And the idea that when you've said yes to Christ, you're a part of God's kingdom. It's an unseen kingdom. Uh, when Jesus has some dialogue with Pilate before he dies on the cross, they, they have an interchange about this. No, the kingdom I'm talking about is in your hearts, the rule of God in your heart. Yes, someday Christ will come back and set things straight. But for now, there is this unseen kingdom. And those of us who have said yes to Christ are letting Jesus, God, the uh, Spirit, be the Lord of our hearts. He's our our king. I like the way this translation says it. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God initiating your life, pointing you in the right direction, God provision, taking care of things. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met, and if I was going to say that, go a little plus and probably much more. And, uh, you know, sometimes when it comes to this idea of even following God, even looking in that direction, we're afraid of missing out. And some of us who have said yes to Christ still are a little unsure because we don't want to give too much lordship into our life because we're afraid that we'll miss out. And that is not the case. So saying it like this, uh, thinking about Xerxes and what's going on there and all the imagery is there's, there is another kingdom, a better kingdom. Another king, a better king that we are to live for. We don't always see him, but we can experience him. We were not meant to center on ourselves, but center on him. He is the unseen sovereign. And to live that way in any time, any day, you and I need something called courage. And it's the courage to say no. And we're going to see this courage in the life of Queen Vashi and the way she responds to Xerxes in the next few moments. And, and it's not to be a disrespectful kind of thing to our world, but we need to have the courage to say no when we're being encouraged, asked to cross the line Get out of sync, out of alignment with the way God would have us live our lives. We need to have the courage to say no, but the courage to say no in the right way. And that makes me think of uh, clear and present danger. Some of you saw that um, Jack Ryan uh, movie. And uh, towards the end, as everything unravels, uh, Jack Ryan comes in to see the president. And I love the way he basically says no, but he says no with respect and uh, honor, but he still says no. The
0: president will see you now, sir. you're here. Sit down. Can I get you anything? No. Come on, sit down. I would prefer to stand, sir. Some things have gone on here, and we have to do this very delicately, otherwise people might get the wrong idea. We have to lie. Did I say that? No, you didn't. You're upset. I'm upset. Well, it's understandable. You mind if I give you a bit of advice? Of course, you know this, because you're a smart guy. You should never make important decisions while you're upset. You did. And American soldiers and innocent civilians are dead because of it. I never ordered any... don't even think about playing that game with me. I will not let you dishonor their memories by pretending you had nothing to do with it. How dare you come in here and lecture me? How dare you, sir? How dare you come into this office and bark at me like some little junkyard dog? I am the President of the United States! It gives me no pleasure to do it, sir. As Acting Deputy Director of Intelligence, it is my duty to report this matter to the Senate Oversight Committee. You're not going to do that. I'm not. No, no. You've got yourself a chip in the big game now. You're going to tuck that away. You are going to save that for a time when... And then you're going to pull it out. And I'm going to cash it in for you. Right? I don't think I have anything more to say to you, sir. The country can't afford another scandal, Jack, to protect itself. It won't allow the possibility of another deception that goes all the way to the top. You'll take the blame. Cutter and Ritter will take some too, but it won't amount to much. They'll get a slap on the wrist. And then $20,000 an hour on the lecture circuit. The rest of the blame will fall on Greer. Oh, yeah, you'll take him down with you. He'll destroy his reputation, but that's as far as it'll go. The old Potomac Two-Step Jack. I'm sorry, Mr. President. I don't dance.
1: How do you say no? With respect? How do you do that? We're going to see this, the courage to say no. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who, were ser- who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing a royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. And some thoughts on here. First of all, this wouldn't have been a crown like we see in uh, Queen Elizabeth wearing. This would have probably been a turbine, turban. With um, just stones and that kind of a thing in it. And there's some thought that uh, she would have entered the room just wearing her crown, no clothes, or she would have come in with very scantily clothes. And so this is what the king wants. Uh, he's now uh, in high spirits from wine. That's a nice way of saying he's drunk and, uh, you know, doing stupid things. And uh, again, and all his men have been drunk for 180 days, and it's having its effect. And then we hear the response. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashi refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. What is going on here? What can we learn from a situation like this? I don't know, I, you know. Some of you are married to princes, but they're not the king. <laughs> but how, how do, how, what, what even is going on here? first thing I just want to say about this is devastating things happen when marriage is centered on anything else than any other thing than love. Devastating things happen. In Xerxes' world, you married for power, married for sex, uh, and that's in pleasure. And so that's why we find Queen Vasi in this situation. When you're thinking about who you're going to spend the rest of your life together with, why are you marrying that person? Is it because of the life you hope that they can build or you can build together? Is it all these other things, or is it really love? And I can't can't in two minutes help you unpack that, but I absolutely think it's possible. Um, I would even throw in here, don't get married just because you're lonely. It would be better to be lonely than be married to someone where it's not good. So somehow Queen Vasie, is in this situation was probably a political alliance uh uh, you marry my daughter i'll be uh you know my kingdom will come under your rule it's a family affair now and and this kind of thing went on but uh you know not marrying for power not marrying for any of those things i I had a friend who had has has his daughter and and um oh i say she's probably in her 40s now but uh you know she, she she was gorgeous And uh, sometimes it's it's very sickening to say this, but she would say she was like a trophy wife. Intelligent, beautiful, and uh, somebody who worked at uh, an executive knew that she would be good to have around his arm at parties. She was nice, and she was swept off her feet, and they got married. And it took maybe two or three years for them to realize that... uh, She really was just a trophy wife. Just bring her out, show her around, and throw lots of money at her, but he has his own life kind of to live, and that's the way it was. And and the marriage didn't didn't make it, obviously. And then coming out of that marriage, she went to the extreme opposite. So then she married somebody who uh, really didn't have direction in his life, uh, wasn't someone who was going anyplace because she wanted to swing the other way, and, and that was a disaster. And now uh, she's married a third time to a guy that's it's in the middle. And again, those two previous marriages were for the wrong thing. Marriage number three was for love. And, uh, you know, it doesn't always work out this way. And it's been a hard road for that couple. know both of them fairly well. Uh, but when you and I marry on for any other reason than real love it has devastating effects and so this is the climate of, of Queen Vashti and King Xerxes so the question we have to ask ourselves is does Vashi do the right thing by refusing to go out there They're refusing to be paraded in front of 50,000 men Drunk men. Um, Some might say, well, I know the, the Bible verses that say, you know, wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord, so what do I do? But then there's also another verse that says this, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting spend a lot of time unpacking this but i'm going to give you just a few bullets when we think about this for men queen Vashy. let's put some um, foundational things down when it comes to getting married when you're married you need to ask yourself what is your standard of beauty your standard of beauty ought to be your wife your standard of beauty ought to be your wife. As a husband, I hope my wife's standard of handsomeness is me, even though I'm a little wider or a lot wider than I was when we first got married. But what's the standard of beauty? It ought to be your wife. No one else. And uh, for Queen, uh, King Xerxes, he wanted to parade around his power And uh, in a sense, present his wife as a trophy. And so this may sound very obviously, but don't parade your wife around as a trophy. Uh, Sometimes I hear stories where husbands have asked their wives to wear more suggestive clothing. They like those outfits because they want, in a sense, the glory of, this is my trophy. So, So don't do that. Don't do that. And, and I'm gonna say this if you're dating somebody and you get the idea that that's what they like about you, stop dating them. Be done with them. Uh, if you're dating them and they're sitting next to you right now, just get up and walk no <laughs> but I, but I wouldn't I would not stay with them. That is not the deal. Do not do that. Don't have your wife as the one that kind of add value to your importance, so she is your trophy. And it can work vice versa. Your wife should be your best friend. And that takes engagement, that takes time, that takes work. All those things that you did when you first discovered you were in love, should continue on through the life of your marriage. It may change in form, but the fact that she owns your heart as your best friend, that's the way it should be. King Xerxes would never have asked his best friend, his wife, to do what he asked. Would never, ever have happened. And yet, you know, as we read this, we read all that's going on, it's real easy for us men to kind of say, well, you know, that's, that's King Xerxes. I, you know, I don't, I don't have any of that. But, but I have to ask you, if you had even a fraction of the power that he had, how would that be reflecting in your life? You see, men, we can be a lot like Xerxes, a lot like, and we can be very subtly doing it. Uh, The whole idea of parading women uh, with all that we can get across our computers, our phones these days. Uh, We can be a lack like Xerxes. Xerxes could afford the real thing. We have to afford something that's cheap on a screen. But those kinds of ideas can be us. For women, remember, and this, this goes back to all of us, but I want ladies to understand this. All authority is borrowed from the Lord. So when you talk about a man setting the tone and leading in home, that authority is borrowed from the Lord. And so even when you're a parent, you are parenting your children, that authority is borrowed from the Lord. Where you work, if you're in charge, your authority is... Is borrowed from the Lord. You're a conduit for His will, for His way of doing things, looking at life. So when we come to this whole idea of you know loving your wives, submitting your wives, respecting your wives, all those kinds of things, remember any respect doesn't matter who you are, or any any authority doesn't matter who you have, what you have it is borrowed from God. So submission does not include accepting things that are degrading, humiliating, or endangering. As a wife, if your husband is asking you to do anything that's degrading or humiliating or endangering, I'm going to say you can say no. You say no as respectfully as you can, but you say no. Because the authority that your husband may have in your life comes from God. And God does not exercise authority in that way. Some ladies need to learn how to stand up for yourselves and say no. Respectfully, gently, kindly. But there are days where you have to say no. I'm not going to do that. I mean, we can make a joke. If, if your husband said, yeah, let's go rob a local uh, bank or something. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 obviously no. But those kinds of things that are degrading, humiliating, and endangering. That is not what God has intended. That's not what the writer of Ephesians and Colossians, Paul, is talking about. You can say No. If they want you to wear that outfit because they know when you go to that Christmas party, it turns heads. Wear your bathrobe that goes from your ankles up to your neck. You Say no to that. And husbands, people to be husbands, don't be that kind of man. And some of us have to have massive work done in our heart. That's possible so that we're not that kind of man. We need to rewrite the thinking process of our hearts, of our minds. It's possible. So ladies, say no to that. Don't be a willing partner to being objectified, basically is what we're being Don't be a willing partner to that. Say no or go. I know this is really hard if you're in a situation where, man, you're looking for a person to spend the rest of your life for and uh, there's a couple of these little yellow flags and this is something like this that you go, well, when we get married, things will be better. Usually things get worse after you get married. People let their hair down. So say no, go. Don't be a part of that. Trust God. To figure out a way that you can honor his ways and also honor your heart and your soul, you weren't. None of us are are to be objectified. Women seem to get more of that in our day age than men. So, so hold out, hold out. It'd be better to wait even five years. And I know that's hard for you to take from me because I was married when I was twenty-two, but it'd be better than to be put in that situation. I could, I could, if I, if. Confidential, I wasn't a thing. I could bring people in those situations. and Go, hey, meet this person because this person, this has been their experience. I could, if I could, I could introduce you to that person I talked about earlier. That is on her third marriage, first one. She was definitely a trophy, and to try to offset that, she went the opposite direction, which wasn't right. There needed to be some kind of balance in there, and now she's experiencing that. And then also a part of this for. Everyone, repentance wins the day. Repentance wins the day. I'm not gonna have time to read through the rest of this chapter, but repentance wins the day. If King Xerxes, when the alcohol cleared from his mind, realized his queen was right by refusing and repented it would have avoided all kinds of problems but he wouldn't do it he did the same thing you and I do when you and I don't want to repent we come up with excuses uh, when we don't want to repent we post things on Facebook that that solidify our thinking we're going to let this thing go viral we're going to let everybody know And King Xerxes sends it to the corners of the world, what's going on, and why is what's happening, and all of these kinds of things. Uh, Repentance would have changed everything. It would have saved his kingdom, in a sense. It would have saved a lot of hurt. I have to ask you, what things in your life, man, woman, teenager, husband, wife, do you need to repent of? Say, I'm sorry, and then show you're sorry by having a course correction in your life. Repentance wins the day. This story would be almost a non-story right now if King Xerxes had said, you know, I was an idiot. (laughs) No more 180-day parties. No more letting people drink as much as they want. No more, you know, bring out Queen Verse, you know, and yeah, yeah, you know, that wouldn't have happened repentance 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 later on today uh you can see the rest of the blanks filled in but i'll give you this one the next one section is the illusion of control to me it is the funniest thing that xerxes will tell queen fascist that she can never come back into his presence and i think she says yes she's a happy camper that's the best thing ever. It's just so funny. I won't come. Well, because you won't come, I'm not going to let you come. Why? You know, you know, you know. It's just, it's just crazy. But uh, illusion of control, and you can read through that. Uh, let me give you the bottom line though for today. The bottom line is this: is God may seem hidden, but He's not hiding. He may seem hidden, but He's not hiding. And as we walk our way through. Esther, we're going to see that he seems hidden, but he really isn't. He's not hiding. And that's true for your life, for my life, and whatever you are experiencing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this story that doesn't even really talk about you being included in the Older Testament. And as we begin to dive into this, we ask that you'd open our eyes to all that's going on and that we'd see the places where we can learn, we can grow, where we can save ourselves from heartache, where our walk with you can be closer and tighter. Father, all of us have those moments, sometimes those seasons of life where it seems like you're you're hidden, but you're not hiding. Help us to open our eyes and see you. Lean into you rather than lean away. We ask all of this in your name.